Today we're uh, going to pick up our story in Joseph where Joseph is going to respond to his brothers. We kind of left it off with the cliffhanger and we're going to talk about forgiveness. And so I was trying to think of a story uh, to start our sermon off this morning with uh, a time when I had to ask for forgiveness. And I asked my wife, I said, hey Marty, is there a time where I had to ask for forgiveness where it was like a funny situation? And she looked at me and she was like, no, every time you have to ask for forgiveness, it's terrible. Um... I may have earned that one. Uh, so I started to think about a time when I had to ask for forgiveness, and it was um, not necessarily easy. Uh, this came my senior year in high school. I had a uh, physics class, and you guys are all going to judge me at the end of this and think I'm a terrible person. And I just want you to know, this is an imperfect church for imperfect people. I am the chief um, imperfect person among you, so judge me if you will. You probably will. Okay, so... In, in high school, I had this teacher, a physics teacher, and she was terrible at teaching physics. Um, she might have been a great teacher in other ways, but she was, got caught ta- teaching this physics class, and she didn't know the material very well. And so what we kind of picked up on this early in the year, and we would start to do the answers wrong on the board, but come up with the right answer at the end. And she was comparing it just against her teacher's manual, and I realized she wasn't catching our work that was wrong on the board. And we were kind of having a good time doing this. Some of us who were in this AP physics class, and we were like, you know, we could just do the, all the work wrong, but if we come up with the right answer, this, she's not even going to pick up on it. And uh, it, it dawned on me at some point during the year that she needed this teacher's manual to be able to teach this class, which for some reason really annoyed me. So there was one day when I was walking down the hall, I had a hall pass, and there was nobody in the hallway, there was nobody in her room, and her office was open to the hallway, and I could see on her desk in the hallway there that her teacher's manual was sitting there right in the middle of her desk. And um, I was weak, I have to admit. I was a weak, willed high school senior. And so I snuck into her office and I grabbed her teacher's manual. And I took it to my locker and I hid it. And for two and a half weeks, she thought she lost it. And I didn't tell her. Um, And then finally, Uh, I, having a giant mouth, uh, got myself in trouble by telling one of the other students who then somehow it got back to her, and eventually they figured out I had the teacher's manual, and I was busted. I was in huge trouble. And so what they said to me was, and I had this really bad relationship with this teacher, obviously, as you can tell, um, they said to me, you have to go and do a public apology in front of the whole class, otherwise we're going to give you 30 office detentions. So your choice is 30 office detentions or a public uh, you have to ask for forgiveness for her in front of your entire class. Um, so being the smart aleck that I was, um, and good with words and good in front of people, I wrote up a apology and they said they approved it. And then I stood in front of the class and I said, I am sorry that Mrs. So-and-so is such a terrible teacher that she, <laughs> and I'm also sorry that this school would hire somebody who te- to teach us this way. And I'm sorry for all of you that you haven't learned anything this year. And I'm sorry, and I, so I, I had a long list of things I was sorry about, but none of them were taking responsibility for the terrible thing that I had done. And I can't believe I'm laughing about it right now. I'm only laughing because I'm 40, and that was so long ago. Um, and so I ended up getting 30 office detentions on top of an <laughs> apology that was not accepted by her, which makes sense. Um, and uh, I still, to this day, look back and think I would slap the crap out of that kid if I could, um, all of us probably have something in our past where we would go back and do it again. That's one of those for me. And you know what? Why is it so hard for us to say like three words, right? To say like three words. To say like, I am sorry. 
Why is that so hard for us? Um, or even harder than that sometimes, when you're on the other end of it, for us to say the other three words. I forgive you. Right? You can think of situations that you've been in where you've had to say I am sorry or you've had to say I forgive you and you have fought it. You have not wanted to do it. It feels wrong. There's something wrong about it inside of you to say, you know what? Justice would mean I don't need to say I'm sorry. Justice would mean that person gets what they're, what's coming to them. And for me to sit here and act like I can forgive them or for them to come to me and ask for forgiveness or vice versa, you know, I just can't bring myself to do it. And you know, we teach our kids this. If you have a little kid and they, you know, punch their sibling, I mean, not that that ever happens in my house. I have two little darling angels who are perfect. Um, you know, what's the first thing we do? Hey, tell your sister you're sorry or tell your brother you're sorry or tell your friend that, that you're sorry because we're teaching them how important this is. And if we don't learn how to use these three words and use them correctly, what ends up happening is we end up living a life of bitterness, okay? How many of you when you're an old man or an old woman want to be that bitter old man or that bitter old woman. I don't think any of us set out to be that way. And yet, we find ourselves sometimes not being able to let go of things because we can't apologize and, and receive forgiveness and accept someone's apology and give forgiveness in a way that continues to free us from holding grudges or being bitter. These two sets of words are honestly super important. And you think when you say I'm sorry, you say it with no caveats, no blaming, no half-hearted measure. If you're sorry, you own up to it. It's going to happen. Well, here we are. Um, and if you say I forgive you, which is way harder sometimes, uh, you are essentially saying I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to bring this up again. I'm not going to say, yeah, I forgive you, and then the next time we get into a fight, I'm going to remind you of all the things that I've forgiven you uh, uh, for, for our entire relationship. Okay? I'm sorry, he says, I, I'm just taking responsibility. I forgive you, says, I'm now going to separate this from you, and I'm going to let you move, up, move forward in our relationship. And this is harder the closer you are to someone. So today we're looking at Joseph and his brothers. That's a pretty intense relationship. To have somebody sell you out that much, to sell you into slavery, to tell your father that you've, you've, you know, you're dead. Oh, man. I'm just glad there's no one up there right now. Um, and yet, their closeness of their relationship makes it even that much harder. You know this. The people who are closest to you can hurt you the most. The people who are closest to you uh, can do the most damage sometimes. The relationships in your family or your marriage or with your children, or with your friends. Those are the ones sometimes that are the hardest ones to come back from. So I'm actually going to be in Genesis chapter 45. We're going to do the first 15 verses. If you want to follow along, I'm in the NIV. You can click into it in our digital bulletin, or uh, if, if you're online, you got the whole World Wide Web, or we're going to have slides up for you. So here we go, 45, verse 1. And we've left it at a cliffhanger. The, you know, We've just seen Judah say, I'll go instead of Benjamin. Take me instead of him. And it has broken Joseph. This act of um, him putting himself in his brother's place and saying, take me, has broken Joseph, right? And here we go. So it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself, right? He has seen the ending of the change that's happened in his brother's hearts. He knows that they would re replace their life with Benjamin's to make sure that they didn't have the same thing happened, 
happened to them that happened to Joseph. So he says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So he sends out all the Egyptians, all of his attendants, all the people that aren't family are out of the room. You've been in this situation before where there's something that needs to be discussed and it's a family issue, it's a family matter, and you send everybody else away except for the people that need to be talked with. And it says, He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. So he is ugly crying, okay? You guys ugly crying, anyone? Like, I know for me, ugly crying happens very easily. I'm a, I'm a huge baby. Anytime TV is on and there's some sort of cute puppy, baby, any kind of justice-related issue where someone is taking, I'm weeping, okay? Maybe for you, it's missing the state fair. It's going to cause you to ugly cry. A couple? Nope. Okay, maybe that one's me too. Uh, or I've been told that if you watch This Is Us, you ugly cry pretty much every episode or something. I don't really know what it's about. Um, I know that uh, Taco Bell is getting rid of the quesarito. I had a few ugly cries this week on that one, um, as you can tell. Some of you are thinking about your kids staying home in the fall. Right? And you are ugly crying every time if you were reminded that that's going on. Um, but Joseph is losing it. He loses it. He says, like, no longer am I going to hold it together. No longer am I going to pretend like everything's okay. I, whatever emotion comes in, I'm letting it out. And he sends everyone away, and he has this moment with his, with his brothers. And, of course, what do they think when they hear that it's him? <laughs> They're terrified. Why are they terrified? Because they did something horrible to Joseph. They essentially broke their relationship with their brother and they now realize that they're in trouble because Joseph now has all the power. They realize he can now get his revenge on us. We can get what's coming to us. We can get, we're going to receive the justice that is deserved based on what we've done to him. And it says that they were terrified at his presence. But look at Joseph's response. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when he had done so, he said, I am your brother, the one who you sold into to Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I mean, Joseph essentially says two things to them. One is, come near to me. The second is, don't be afraid of me right? So he's immediately able to respond to their fear, their terror with, come close and don't be afraid. It's clear here that Joseph has already forgiven his brothers in this moment. It didn't take him a minute to do it. It was the act that Judah did just before this that broke him, that allowed him to forgive. And so he immediately forgives and his response is, no, 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 no. come close and don't be afraid. You don't have anything to worry about. Don't even be angry about what you did because God was using this thing to save us all. Right? First of all, he is very honest. He goes, look, don't be angry with yourself for selling me into slavery. You know, when we are asking for forgiveness or when we are uh, uh, receiving forgiveness, we have to make sure that we name the offense it's not okay to wipe over the offense. It's not okay to minimize the offense. It's not okay to say, yeah, it's fine, fine, whatever, it's all good. It's important to make sure that whenever you're looking for true reconciliation, true forgiveness, 
uh, and true reconciliation that you name the offense, that you say what it is that was so terrible. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do, and especially for us as Minnesotans. Anyone? Yeah? We want to be like, hey, I'll just, you know what, it's cool, I'll just let you off the hook. Like, hey, you're my brother, you're my friend, you're my mom, you're my dad, you're whatever. Like, I'll just, uh, don't worry about it. You, you don't even have to apologize. And then in reality, what we do is we walk away from that and we're like, <laughs> right? Joseph names the offense. He goes, guys, come close to me. Don't be afraid. But you did sell me to slavery. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, I'm going to name the offense. I'm going to tell you this did create all kinds of problems for me. And you know what? The chains that I wore while I was in those jails, they hurt. And the time where I felt like I was alone and disconnected from the entire world, I felt like there was nobody who was going to come and save me, that, that really hurt. It's okay to name the offense. It's okay to be honest about it. And if you're going to have true reconciliation, sometimes you have to go the whole way of making sure you get it all out. Not the side issue, not some of it. You have to root it all out and make sure it's all on the table before you ask for forgiveness for that thing and before you give forgiveness to somebody for that thing. And he is totally honest with them. He says, look, you guys sold me into Egypt. You don't have to be afraid of me. You can come close. But you did sell me into Egypt. He's honest about it. He also has, like what we would look at here and say is perspective. He understands that there's a lot more going on in this situation, right, than just this, the moment that they sold him into slavery. There's some other giant plan at work. There's some other thing happening here. And, you know, this... This uh, offense sort of haunts them as they move forward. All right, so look what it, he goes on to verse 6. Look what he says. So for two years now, there has been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing, no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save our, your lives by a great deliverance. He's like, I have perspective. I know what God was doing and I see the whole plan and I understand that what you did, what you did to me, was necessary, that God used this actually to save all of us. He has perspective. He, he realizes that he is not the center of the universe. He understands that God is doing something. He's moving pieces around, that there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger thing going on. And I think sometimes when we get kind of lost in the, the situations we have in life, we got to step back and say, man, what is God doing? What can't I see right now? What would give me perspective? And we, we want an immediate response. We want an immediate uh, understanding of what's going on in our lives. And sometimes that understanding takes, in this case, 25 years to see come to fruition. That God is doing something. There's something about Joseph's relationship with God where he understands God is with me. He is for me. He is in control. I, I can trust him even when the situations in my life aren't going the way that I want to. I, he can have perspective, which allows him to forgive in a way that is unbelievable. Look what it says in verse 8. So then it was, it was not you who sent me here. It was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. He's like, God put me in this situation. God knew that there was going to be seven years of famine that was going to wipe out the entire world. It was going to wipe out Egypt. It was going to wipe out Canaan. It was going to wipe all of us out. And he put me in this moment. He gave Pharaoh the dream. He gave me the interpretation. He showed me what to do. And he used me to save the entire world. He goes, your offense is a part of that. Um, now, look, I'm not going to like let you off the hook. We, we need some reconciliation here, but I'm understanding there's a bigger perspective. There's a bigger thing happening here that God's at work and I'm not going to be held down by my situation and allow that to define me. I'm going to let God's plan, his gospel, his thing define me. 
They, they, they just honestly couldn't believe it. And in fact, as they move forward in their relationship, at every point, the brothers are still questioning, okay, now is Joseph going to kill us? Okay, now is Joseph going to kill us? Okay, when they get to the end of uh, Genesis chapter 50 and their father, uh, Jacob, dies, they think that now that their father is dead, that now Joseph is going to get his revenge on them. And they, they like start to freak out a little bit about where they stand. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, okay, so this is like fast forward in their life. They put everything together. They've had reconciliation. They've been functioning for quite a while, right? And they've just kind of been waiting for Joseph to take his revenge on them. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and he pays us back for the wrongs we did to him? So they would... They sent word to Joseph saying, hey, your father left instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. So they go, hey, Joseph, I just want to, dad's not around anymore. He's not there protecting us. But we just want to remind you, before dad died, he, he told you to forgive us. We're just, we're just here to remind you of that. We just you know, now would be a great time for you to get revenge on us. Would you just remember that uh, your dad asked you not to do that to us? Just want to make sure that that's a cool thing. And the thing that you see here is that Joseph had already forgiven and he'd forgiven once and for all. And when the question came to him, he felt the brokenness still in his relationship with his brothers and he wept over it. He goes on, it says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down to him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, look, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. God intended this for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. It's this act of reconciliation that pulls this family back together from the brink of being completely separated and having kind of like a, a, an internal war within their family. And Joseph has perspective. He's focused on what God is doing, what is the big picture. Sometimes we have to step back from our situation and go, what is the big picture here? If you're struggling to give someone forgiveness in your life, it might be because you're missing what God is actually doing. To step back and say, what is really going on here? It's not about this moment. It's not about me forgiving this person or or me going to someone and asking for forgiveness. It's about what God is doing through all of this. And so, yes, you should. You should forgive the person. You, it really, it's, it's relieving that burden off of you. But it, it's really connected to the idea of, do I trust God? Do I believe he's good? Do I believe he's with me? Do I believe he has a plan for me? And Joseph had learned through his life that that was true. We'll go back to verse chapter 45, verse 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, he says. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father. Say to him, this is what your son says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. He says, you will live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, all you have, I will provide for you. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household uh, and all who belong to it will become destitute. Verse 12. You see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. And then he finishes with this embrace of Benjamin, which he must have been waiting for 
for decades, right? Wondering if his brother was even alive, wondering if he would be brought back to, uh, to be able to see him or be with him. It says, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. Then Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and he wept over all of them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now, this, this story about this reconciliation that happens between these two parties, you see Judah do the thing that reaches out to Joseph and says, we're different, things are going to change, you can trust us now. And you see Joseph reaching all the way out and saying, look, I'm not going to hold it against you, I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to let you come and live with me, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to take care of you, and then weeps over the loss of his brothers, and now that they're back in his life, he weeps over them. And I wonder... When we read this, we think this is about a guy who lived, you know, roughly 4,000 years ago, whatever it is. And we think that this is really about Joseph, and it's really about Judah, and it's really about Egypt. And it is. But it's also really about us. And it's really about Jesus. And it's really about the gospel. There's a whole lot here going on that's actually pointing us to the story that would actually be the most important piece, the centerpiece of everything that God was doing. You want to step back and you want to see God's plan? His plan culminates in Jesus. You know, as, as Joseph reaches out to his brothers, and he says, look, come close to me, and don't be afraid. This is the same thing Jesus does to us. He says, look, I have already forgiven you. I decided before you ever asked for it, before you ever did anything to engage me in relationship, that you were forgiven. Like when Jesus went to a cross, he died for every sin that would ever be committed. He died for you and the sin that you had in your life before you ever existed and before you ever did those things. And he offers that forgiveness to you. He reaches out and says, look, come close. Don't be afraid of me. I w I've already forgiven you. And I think what's interesting about the idea of reconciliation, if, if that's what you're looking for in your life, is this reconciliation with God, is that Jesus goes almost all the way. He reaches out and says, I have already forgiven you, and it's yours. And all you have to do is reach out and grab and take it. But a lot of us, we don't take it. We say, you know, I'll probably be okay because compared to a lot of other people in this world, I'm a pretty, pretty good person. Now, I know that's not true about me, okay? I'm a terrible person, free of the gift of God and the forgiveness of sins. I'm the kind of person that steals a teacher's workbook, holds it out on her for weeks, and then gets up and shows her up in front of a class when I'm a punk 18-year-old kid, right? I'm not a good person. Maybe you're a good person, and maybe it makes it harder for you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. You're looking around at other people, and you're like, you know what? I'm not as bad as th that person. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as that person. I pay my taxes, I take care of my yard, I, I, I'm, a, I'm good at work, I'm a, I, I show up when people need me, I'm consistent, I'm faithful, I, I, don't, I don't really swear that much, I don't really do any bad stuff, I'm kind of a good person. And you look at other people and you compare yourself to them and you say, you know, I'll probably get into heaven because compared to a lot of people like Mark, I'm pretty good. Right? So those of us who are bad, we kind of know we're in trouble. Those of you who are good, you, you kind of feel good about yourself. And the problem is sometimes we are finding ourselves comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. Right? We're comparing ourselves to other failed, sinful people who need forgiveness. And we're saying, maybe I'm just not as bad as that person, but 
we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. You know, when, when uh, Peter goes to Jesus and he says, hey, how many times should I forgive somebody in my life? And Jesus answers the question in the most annoying way. He does this all the time. He, he doesn't give like a straight answer. He's not like, he should say, hey, Peter, you should forgive everyone of everything all the time and continue to do it for the rest of your life. He gives him a riddle. He gives him a, a little story. He says, hey, if you want to know how often you should forgive somebody, it's like 70 times 7 or 77 times. Or He basically says, like, it's forever. Don't keep track. Don't, don't have a tally. And he goes, let me tell you why. Here's the story. There was this guy, and he owed a ton of money to someone, and they let him off the hook. You know, he, he deserved to be in jail for the rest of his life and locked away and the key thrown away because of how much he owed. And you know what? This, this benefactor decided to forgive and let him, you know, uh, go on with his life, to just wipe the debt out. And then the next day, that person had somebody else who owed him money, just a little bit, just a little tiny bit. And he said, and he went to that person and he demanded the money and he treated him harshly and he didn't forgive the debt. He goes, so what do you think about forgiveness? What are we supposed to do here? Right, the, the answer here is not to compare ourselves to other people and say, I'm better than them, better than them. It's for us to say, I've been forgiven so much. My own sin, the things that keep me away from God, the things that break my relationship with God. I've been forgiven so much by a God who loves me in incredible ways that I can't forgive anyone, anything, all the time. And in fact, when I reach out and offer forgiveness to somebody, what I'm doing is I'm showing them the gospel in a tangible way. And right now you're, you're, you're hanging on to something and you're going, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what somebody did to me. You don't know what they did. You can't tell me that I should forgive them. Jesus seems to tell us, no matter what the situation is, compared to how much he's forgiven you, it's a small thing. That in fact, even in a situation like Joseph's, where he seemingly should have the right to exact revenge on his brothers, he extends forgiveness and in doing so shows us what Jesus would someday do in our lives. When we practice forgiveness, right, we are extending the gospel to someone else to show them what Jesus has done. And I don't know any other way to say it. If you're holding on to a grudge, if you're feeling like, you know, you're becoming a bitter person, then free yourself of that burden by forgiving the other person. And in doing so, practicing the gospel in a way that allows that other person to be made whole. And by the way, if you are in a relationship with somebody where you need forgiveness, Jesus also tells us not to wait for them to come to you to get it fixed, but for us to leave even our, our, our offering and to go to the person and to say, look, we, we've got to make this right. I am sorry. We're called as Christians to extend it and we're called as Christians to go seek it. That full reconciliation is what God has in mind for us in our relationship with him. And it's a matter of us receiving the forgiveness that Christ offers. And I know that sometimes this is offensive to us because we think we're a pretty good person. But Jesus judges all of who we are. Everything, maybe your outward actions are great. But inside there is all kinds of things that need forgiveness, that need reconciliation, 
And Jesus is extending his hand saying, it's already yours. Just come get it. Let me pray for us as we go about our day here. Jesus, would you make it clear to us the places in our lives where we are withholding forgiveness from someone in our life? Or would you make it clear to us places where we need to go and seek out forgiveness in relationships with others? Would you give us the perspective that Joseph had that allows us to see your greater will at work? Would you help us to display this gospel in the lives of all those around us? And would you receive glory from that? Would your kingdom be built all around us as we become the kind of people who offer forgiveness and seek forgiveness? Would you allow us to be like you? and to bring the gospel into those relationships. Jesus, would you make a difference in our lives and the lives of those around us? In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. I wish you had my view. This is amazing. Uh, We'll be back here next week as long as the weather is good. We'll also be online no matter what, so you guys can do either one. Remember, as we leave, to just keep your distance so we don't get anybody sick, so we don't share anything we shouldn't share. Otherwise, thank you for being here, and we will see you next week.